Welcome to the Level Up Artist Podcast. We're your hosts, Adriana M.A. and Jackie Sanders. We're two art professionals sharing forward the advice and business lessons we have learned along our creative journeys. We talk to artists, leaders, and art professionals to demystify the creative process and discover new ways to succeed as a career-minded artist. If you find value in these conversations, please go ahead and subscribe. This will help other creatives like you find our podcast and you'll be notified when we drop a new episode every Tuesday. On today's episode, we're so excited to have as a guest, Isabel Liu. Welcome, Isabel. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited. Of course, we're so excited to have you here to talk about your creative journey, balancing the multiple worlds that you're in as a creative mind, as well as recording a bonus segment um, about challenging preconceived notions through art for our podcast supporters at levelupartists.com. But before we dive in, let's go ahead and share a little bit more about your background for the listeners who might not be quite familiar with your work. So Isabel is a Chinese-American visual artist and health equity researcher uh, born and raised in North Carolina. Isabel studied Western nutritional science as an undergraduate student at Cornell University and then public health and dietetics. <laughs> I don't know if I said that right. As a graduate student at UNC Chapel Hill in 2022, Isabel was the artist in resident at Durham Art Guild, where they developed a participatory body of work exploring identity through food and stories. Currently, Isabel is one of the 2023 emerging artists in resident at Artspace in Raleigh, where they are focused on using community-driven art to support the well-being of Asian-American creatives and communities in North Carolina. Isabel's work explores ethnic, sexual, and gender identity through food, history, and relationships. After learning from BIPOC food justice leaders such as Robin Wall Kimmerer and Karen Washington, as well as traditional Chinese medicine practices, Isabel began to understand that our relationship to food our environments and our bodies was much more complex than Western scientific methods could capture and communicate. Isabel explores what can be considered science, evidence, and truth by paralleling and contrasting these standards in Eastern and Western perspectives. And of course, this is a very formal introduction for our listeners with an extensive resume already. <laughs> um, but Isabel, how would you describe your artwork to someone who's never seen it before? Yeah, well, thank you for that intro. Um, I think visually um my artwork is mainly like portraits i do a lot of oil paintings um very close up i um typically will have like asian american people from the south as my um subject matters um i get inspired by color a lot so you'll see a lot of like my portraits are very colorful and um in different color schemes and um i don't know i i would describe it as like glowy like if that makes sense like mm -hmm. that's like the vibe i'm like trying to pull off um but yeah that's like visually how I describe my work um it talks a lot about like like what you said like the history and like their stories and emotions and um relationships but um yeah I think that's that's what my work would look like to people yeah it's definitely colorful and especially some of the fruits uh in one of your more recent series it looks like you can pull your hand through the canvas and just grab, you know, a fruit and keep eating, you know, or like, or that the person you're portraying is like, almost like reaching out and like trying to share the fruit with you. I don't know. That's the kind of perspective I get with some of them. And I don't know, it's very, it's a lot more intimate than just a stoic portrait of a person still lifestyle. You know, it's a lot more dynamic than that. And the colors are definitely vibrant. So mm -hmm, right up our alley on that <laughs> for sure. But we're curious as well and to give other people kind of like a little bit of uh, a little more background. When did you first become interested in making art? Yeah. Um... Not to sound dramatic, but I literally was drawing like 
the second I picked up a pencil at like one or two years old like I think my mom still has like my first drawing and it's like a semi representational face um so I was always like a shy kid so I was like never really talking in class um I can remember in high school like I was just like I didn't have too many friends like I was always like very quiet but for me like art was like literally always there I was drawing and painting throughout childhood um and high school literally had like a sketchbook in my hand all the time um you know like got started in like manga art and like thinking about anime but then like very much like loving portraiture um so art was like literally always there I think when verbal communication was difficult for me um the visual arts was a way for me to express myself and feel comfortable in my own body and like um relationships with other people um so I don't know I never really thought about it I just like painted and that was it <laughs> um I think I didn't really think about it until like after not painting for an extensive period of time during undergrad and graduate school I like got back into it and really it meant so much more to me um but yeah I was literally just always drawing I never really thought about it it just always felt natural I love that and I'm curious too especially when you're saying like taking a break from undergrad and graduate school is typically a field of research that not many what people think of traditional artists study it's the scientists the sciences so what made you feel compelled to go towards that and then how do you feel like now your role as a health researcher ties in with your creative mind yeah so um during high school i went to a um i went to a um, magnet high school in greensboro that was um it was a public school that you basically auditioned to into and it was like visual and performing arts um, so I went there for visual art. So literally half of my day was like art classes. So I got a lot of exposure through that. Um, and I was like toying with the idea of like going to art school for college. Um, and even like my parents asked me if I wanted to go, which was like for an Asian household, like very uncommon. Yeah, um, that's a big thing. No, yeah, I, I think I'm like very lucky in the fact that my parents were really um, supportive in like my art practice. Um, but I was the one as an 18 year old, I was like, I don't know if that's like the, like the most financially responsible decision I can make right now, like 70 K a year to go to art school and like little job security. Um, so I got very interested in nutrition and the idea of like food as medicine when I was, um, in high school as well. Um, and I don't know, I was always like a very like driven, passionate person about the different interests I had. So I thought like, if I was like so passionate about this and there's like avenues of like being a dietitian or a scientist or um, a doctor, this might be a better route for me to go right now. Um, so I entered into my undergrad at Cornell, um, really interested in the idea of food as medicine and like using food to um, heal people um, as more of like the physician route. So I was like pre-med, like every naive 18 year old is. Um, <laughs> and I very quickly realized when I got into college that like most people uh, well, a, a large chunk of people don't have access to healthcare or are very underinsured. And um, even if you do have the privilege to be able to go see your doctor regularly, you'll see him for maybe like 30 minutes a year. And like, who really listens to their doctor? So um, I thought if I really wanted to make a larger impact on like communities and health, that I, I would have to do that outside of a, a traditional doctor office. Um, plus, I, I didn't want to take physics, so I didn't want to... <laughs> I didn't want to do the pre-med route anyway. Um, so I went more of like the public health route, um, thinking about like the structural systematic reasons why we might not have access to food or healthcare or 
um, other resources we would need for um, community well-being. Um, and I got really interested in health equity research as an undergrad and then um, ended up coming back to North Carolina to do my master's in public health at UNC. Um, but there was something about academia that was just like tough for me. It was like, I like the structure of it, like, you know, having um, a research question and like um, asking about things that you're interested in and like developing these theories and like um, planning out how you're gonna um, investigate this and then carrying that out and then sharing that with people. Um, but it was always like very limited in who we could reach and who has access to this information. Um, so I completely, I'll like back up a little bit. I completely stopped painting during undergrad and part of grad school because of just like time, money, those kind of constraints. Um, and I finally got back into it kind of during the pandemic. And I think when I started painting again, I was like, this feels right. I don't know how to explain it better than that, but it was just like the way that like, I would like paint during the weekends and all week while I was like working like 60 to 70 hours a week. Um, I was just thinking about like the weekend where I could paint again. Um, so I, um, I ended up wanting to, I, I do really love research. So like during the final year of grad school, um, I did apply and get into some PhD programs to do more health equity research. So I was interested in um, looking at um, food access, but not only food access, like culturally appropriate foods and the environment in which we um, we get food um, for BIPOC, marginalized and like Asian American populations. Um, I ended up getting into my dream program, but I just like, again, not to sound dramatic, I like ended up crying and not in a good way. I was just like, it felt so overwhelming and like mm. something that I just like, I was like, I don't want to do this right now. I was like, I was being drawn more to painting and art. And I felt like art is so integral, integral to our like community health and like art well-being as like individuals, but also like a larger scale as well. Um, and that's something that like research can't, not to say that they can't capture, but it's very hard for traditional Western scientists to understand that. If it's not like quantitative, right? If it's not like something numerical or measured um, in a lab or like by statistical software, like they just can't grasp that it's like a phenomenon that's like happening. Um, so I ended up declining my offers and like not having a real plan, but just knowing that I want to pursue something between like the the intersection between like public health research and arts. Um, so yeah, and then I, I applied for a residency at Durham Art Guild and I ended up getting it, which was incredible. And like all these things happened and here I am, but um, not to say like I had a plan or anything, it just kind of things like happened and I like showed up and like took opportunities and just said yes and like collaborate with, collaborated with amazing people, um, but yeah. I think I don't know if I answered your question, but yes, yes. that was like, yeah, <laughs> that's that's amazing. No, and I love that. I love that idea of like, yeah, I mean, when we all are at that college age, I mean, we think we have a plan. We really did have no idea. You know, once you're in it, then you're just like pivot, 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 pivot. And for anybody that either hasn't had that experience, if they were alive during 2020, they understand the whole pivot. You know, things don't go as planned. Um, so I'm really interested in diving in a little bit deeper in this. I love it, love it, love it. I also love that idea. And I do want to confirm. So how soon after declining the PhD opportunities did you get 
uh, into that first residency. I'm, I'm interested in that timing. Like, how long was that 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 pocket of time? Yeah. So I graduated. Um, I so I applied for my PhDs in the fall of 2021. I got my acceptance in the spring of 2022. So last year, so around like February March. I think I declined around like April. And then um, I had one more um, internship for my dietetics program in the summer. So that was around May, June, July. Um, and during May and June is when I applied for the residency and I got it in July. Yeah. Oh, so wow. Really, so that's a really, really tight timeline. And I think yeah. that's a powerful message for listeners too of, I think many people can resonate with that idea of whatever your like long-term dream would be, whether it's an academia setting, whether it's like climbing the corporate ladder, you know, like this has always been my goal. And I'm just like head down working towards this. And then you hit that milestone in that moment and it might not be what you expect it to be. So mm -hmm. I appreciate you sharing that and the authenticity there too, to be like, you cried, but not in a good way, because it's one of those pivotal moments where you realize like, you're almost building this life that you don't necessarily want to be living anymore. And yeah. I think a lot of the time people can kind of like suppress that voice and be like, no, but this is what I'm quote unquote supposed to do. This is the path that I am on without allowing yourself to have that moment of reflection to be like, is this still what I want? Like, just because I set this goal three years ago, it, do I still want to be doing this with all the knowledge and exactly with 2020, the changed life perspective that I have now. And so I commend you on one acknowledging that okay questioning is this really what i want to do and then also having the courage to pivot because i think as all three of us on this call and many of our listeners can attest like once you really are in line with what you feel like you genuinely are just supposed to be doing what just feels right like you mentioned it's well worth it it might not feel as scary as that first moment once you just dive in and it's much better than living a life that you feel like you're just trapped in yeah cuz I, yeah, like you said, it's like when you're um, that young, like who really wants to like look back and say like, oh, I like really needed just to follow the advice of me when I was like 19. Like that's just like, <laughs> right. I don't think anybody wants to do that. I, I mean, maybe like some people like have always been like interested in like being a doctor since they're a kid and they grow up and they follow that and they're they're an amazing doctor. Um, but that's not everybody. And that's not a lot of people. So like, why would we like hold ourselves to like strictly like this is a goal I set when I was like 21 and I'm just going to follow it like almost blindly and not to say that like being a researcher or academic is like a bad thing at all it's just like for me it's it felt like a little limiting in what I felt like I could do um and yeah I the the pandemic had a lot of the influence I feel like for a lot of people like you said like it just like made you like sit and reflect a little bit of like I could probably die I don't know if I want to do this anymore <laughs> yeah <laughs> so yeah Yep. No, totally, totally relate with all that. You know, I spent over 12 years in corporate finance, you know, it gets to a point where you're like, so am I climbing the right ladder? Like, am I building a career towards something that, yes, I get satisfaction on, but is this my calling? Like, is this what I'm supposed to do while I'm roaming the earth, so to speak? And yeah. I know definitely was a uh, pandemic definitely had a reset type question like that for a lot of people too. But I do like to, and I do want to make sure I mention it, the fact how you said like, Yes, you stop the PhDs. That doesn't mean you can't pursue it later, though. Like you already yeah. have your academic credits on it. And it's like, that's something I had to think about when I quit my full time job, my corporate job of like, 
let me treat this as a sabbatical in a way that made it feel a little less uh, dramatic, if you will, but it definitely, there was a lot of tears too. Um, it definitely felt dramatic, you know, all those relationships, all that career, all those things, all, all the things you've been building and to suddenly walk away when there isn't necessarily a direct correlation or there doesn't seem to be a direct correlation between what you've been doing and what you're doing now. And the answer is there is. There's things that carry through, you know, the business side or the research stuff that's now showing through art. There, there's stuff that carries through. Um, but I like and I want to make sure I highlight that idea of like you put it in the back burner, you know, just mm. because you're saying not now doesn't mean never. You could always pursue that PhD later. Maybe you'll pursue it in something else. Like it doesn't have to be, or maybe you'll just do art, you know, forever and ever. I mean, that's, that's, or balance that with another job. Like that's, that's okay too. Like it's stages of life. You can always change it. It doesn't yeah, have no, to be. I, I completely agree. Like, like you said, like treating it like a sabbatical, that's kind of how I was treating it at the beginning, trying to like convince myself like, oh, I'll go back for my PhD someday. Um, and who knows, maybe I will. And um, yeah, like you said, like academia is always going to be there. Your corporate job is always going to be there. Like if if you have to go back like as your like plan b or c like you can but like um i think just being open to different possibilities and different opportunities is good and like you said like i don't think i would ever go back for a phd in like nutrition or like public health even anymore i think i would even if i were to go back because i do love research something more open and expansive and interdisciplinary like an ethnic studies or like an asian american studies program would be really amazing where like i could combine like research with the arts and community and like think about like phenomenon or like ideas that are more um yeah expansive than just like a set public health issue so yeah absolutely and that does sound interesting but looking at your creative routine now that you've made that pivot and committed to um these multiple residencies that you've done in Durham and now at art space around the corner from Adriana and I um for your creative routine now, like what role does daily or just a consistent creative routine play in your process? What does that look like for you? Yeah, so um, I I am doing the residency at um, ArtSpace, but I also have um, a full-time job and then two other <laughs> side jobs and then this residency on the side, um, <laughs> which is like difficult to like, I wouldn't say difficult, it's just like I have to like balance it a lot and like think about my my um my timing and like my schedules um mm -hmm. but I definitely make it a priority to be in the studio um at least most days of the week I think at least like five to six days a week uh maybe not yeah maybe maybe six <laughs> like on a good week um yeah so you're like definitely during... one of the artists that can attest that kind of our conversation before where it's like if you choose to climb the ladder make sure it's leaned up against the right wall to where artists might get a bad rep sometimes of being like frantic and disorganized, but so many artists that I've met, yourself included, are like super resourceful, great with time management. It's like, because we are also always juggling so many things to yeah. having a full-time job and two side jobs and an art residency to where I think artists can, it's just the powerful nature of when you're really committed and driven to do something, you make it work. And mm -hmm. it sounds like, I mean, you're, I feel like you're in the studio all the time, so. <laughs> I didn't even know about your two other side jobs and you had a full-time <laughs> job. So that's very impressive. <laughs> I no, I appreciate it. And um, I guess like it's on a side tangent. Like I feel like like it sounds to some people, I feel like it sounds impressive that I was gonna do a PhD, but like honestly, being an artist um and juggling all this stuff and like seeing what you guys do as like full-time like artists and like this is your this is your business and your passion. Um, I feel like artists are like way more resourceful, time management savvy um smart like 
just like so much more has to go into like being an artist from like the admin the business the the creative side um the networking than like a researcher and maybe I'm like dissing research now but like all you have to do is kind of like show up and like jot down some numbers and like write a paper and like collaborate with some people and like teach a little bit but like I feel like I've learned so much more in this past like year um just as a person and as like a researcher and like a business person and all this stuff than I have in like my six years in academia so like it's been incredible to even like learn from you guys in art space and like everybody else but um yeah I guess going back to the your your original question um I I do try to um, be in the studio and paint at least like 15 to 25 hours a week I would say um just for like to just to feel like for a personal level just to like feel like good I don't know like you know how like when people like work out they get like endorphins and they just like feel like relaxed in their body mm-hmm. I feel like I it, if I don't paint that day I just feel like something's off and like I can't believe I like didn't paint basically like for four to five years and that's probably why I felt so like just off for like the longest time during college so um I definitely prioritize being in the studio and painting just for like my mental and like my um personal like well-being but also like to be able to um have that practice and like um yeah be consistent and like mentally prioritizing this as like where I want to where I want to be um and going in the future so um yeah it's just like a lot of time in the studio either painting or like having meetings related to art um or anything like that yeah and so much of what we do is um basically we're creative problem solving so I think uh, a lot of what you're mentioning is so when you go to a regular nine to five type job it's like somebody else has done a lot of the scoping of the work and like solved some of the problems and even assigned who's going to solve the problem so it's kind of handed to you and then you just you just only have a tiny piece of the giant puzzle versus when you're running your own business you have to see how all the pieces go together and then constantly balance like all your different clients because if you have a mural here and then you have a commission there and then you have like your studio work and then you have a gallery and it's like you have all these different almost like different employers including yourself um and trying to see how it all fits together. So I feel like personal opinion, it's like same, you know, it, to me, it's like, it, I don't know, it's like you're, you're preaching to the choir of like, yeah, it was much different when I could go to work, solve the one question that I've been asked to solve that day, so to speak. And then at the end of the day, I close that book and I go home and that's the end of that. And then art is just so it permeates everything in my life at this point. Like I can literally be driving down the road and be like, oh, that would be a cool wall to paint on, right? Or I'll be at the grocery store and I'll be like, oh my gosh, the color of that mango. I want to mix that color. Like it's just in everything. Like it's not no longer something that can be separated. And then again, it's like as, as artists, we're problem solving, but we're creating the problems too and then trying to solve them. So it's always like, can I mix that color? Can I paint that wall? Like it's always those questions. So I feel like you get to understand yourself a lot better when you're in that constant mode of trying to solve all the time. I don't know, just like activate something in the brain. I have no proof of this people, but I'm pretty sure that's the way that one works um, for sure. But speaking of balancing all these different demands, all these different things. So you're, I mean, you're doing the health equity research side of things, you know, the side jobs and whatnot. You also do community projects. You've painted murals as well. You have to create your studio work. Of course, you know, you have personal life. There's more things involved. How the heck do you stay organized? 
Um, that is a great question. I, um, I wouldn't say I do it well because um, I feel like I used to be like a very, um, like a very organized person in college. Um, like being on top of like emails and like writing back like promptly and like all these like things. And now I feel like it's like slipping. Um, just because of the nature of like so many things that are happening. But um, I I would say that like I try to like connect what I'm doing in like my individual art practice with like the community arts that I'm doing, but also with like my day jobs and everything. So that like, I'm like pulling things that I'm learning from each of them and like redistributing everything together. So that like, not that I'm like double dipping my time, but basically that I'm like connecting all of these things so that I'm like trying to um, just like use my time more wisely and like um, bring things I learned from one thing into like um, being a better employer employee or like a, being a better team member for another thing mm -hmm. um, so that I'm like connecting all these relationships and networks and um, expertise and knowledge together so that like it it feels more organized in my mind mm -hmm. um, yeah so that would be like higher level stuff I mean like the you know the the the, the boring stuff like my google calendar I don't know like checklists <laughs> on like my phone um that kind of stuff but I would say like yeah just like trying to connect everything in my mind um and try to connect people as well as like how I stay organized and how I like try to support like the different projects I'm on and the different like roles I have to play as well yeah I think that's so smart and we talk on the podcast a lot and to other artists as well as thinking of everything that we do as artists spending our time or as business owners you're just pretty much the lifelong journey of adding skills to your tool belt. And so I love talking about how, um, cause I also have a day job in digital marketing. And I always say, it's like, I'm a full-time artist with a full-time day job based on how much time I spend doing both things. But there's definitely like skills I learn in my day job about SEO, about email marketing, about social media strategy that I then apply to my art business. Or if I'm in the studio researching like video production and experimenting with that, then I can bring that to my day job as potential offerings or potential services. And so it's, I feel like it's not so much like double dipping is more so like they're all just in line with where you are going. And so it's, mm -hmm. there's overlap for sure. But I think I love how you mentioned like that makes you a better employee. Cause I always say like, if I didn't have my art business, I would not be as good of an employee to my day job team because it energizes me. I learn those skills and it I think everyone should have that thing outside of their day job if they work for someone else that energizes them, that kind of gives them that motivation and energy to show up as their best selves, whether it's a creative practice, whether it's working out, whether it's trips and hikes, whatever that thing is of your identity outside of your corporate world, which is very helpful. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I think that's really interesting because mm -hmm. I, I also, I work in communications too. So like similar, kind of similar to marketing and like I've definitely like, like through my job, I have to like, you know, like write newsletters and like press releases. And like, I've been on like in rooms where people are writing grants and that's definitely helped me in my art practice and in like my attempts to like be more of a business with my art. Um, but at the same time, like um, I'm able to bring like my, my knowledge of like art and like painting into like the graphic design I have to do for my job. Um, and it just like works out. And like, instead of like being a full-time artist um, and taking the time to like, take a, a marketing class or like um, a class to like learn how to do a newsletter. I'm like already doing that and getting paid for it. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I think it's like actually cool for like artists to have like different roles outside of just being artists because it makes you a more well-rounded person and mm -hmm. an artist and 
a business person um and you get to kind of break up the day so you're never like really bored yeah absolutely <laughs> and another factor of not keeping things boring is having public facing studios so I am curious with both of your residencies how do you feel like interacting with the public in a community facing studio or just a residency space has affected your work in your creative practice yeah it's it's been really cool I well I'll say one um I am like very much an introvert so like I don't love the idea of like that big wall of a window that I have on my studio but it's fine like usually I'm like in the tucked in the corner so not too many people come by um but it's no it's it's been really amazing because I I've been able to like connect with so many people like within the arts community but also just like the public um through just having a studio here and at DAG um that I would not have been able to do if I just had like a studio or like a private studio or like just painting in my apartment like I used to do um so that's been amazing um also just like the opportunities to like talk to people and explain my art through like first Fridays here in Raleigh or third Fridays in Durham mm -hmm. has been amazing because it's just practice and like learning how to like speak um consistently and like um concisely about your ideas and the way you portray them and how it connects to both you and the person you're talking to has been really, really great. Um, I will say that like, I, I'm i not in love with like how historically like white and upper middle class, like the arts scenes have been here. Um, so like a lot of the people who've come by have not looked like me or maybe um, other people in my own community. And that's just a little, I, I don't know, it's just a little sad for me because I would love to like share my art with more of those people. Um, and for whatever reason, whether they feel like they might not belong here or they just have never really like had the routine of coming to a place like Artspace. Um, it's, yeah, it's just a little sad. I would like to, which is why I'm like trying to create more opportunities in the arts and like share my art through other ways um, to bring in more like queer and like Asian American and BIPOC people as well into the arts so that they feel like there's a place that they belong in. Um, but yeah, it's it's been great in terms of like networking and like finding um, ways to like develop my own like public speaking skills as well and just getting connected with a lot of really cool people. Yeah, I definitely relate to that part too when you're saying they don't look like you. Um, same, same, like I wish there was a lot more uh, Hispanic, Spanish speaker, just BIPOC folks in general that would come by the space. And I don't know how much of the cultural side of it has to do with it. Because like, I remember growing up, it was like, if it was an event, like an art fair, sure, you would go to that, like there's artisans and there's crafts and things like that. But like, or you go to the museum, but ours, like where we work is such a special place. It's an in-between in a way um, where it's like, I don't ever remember going to artist studios growing up. Like it just wasn't a thing. And with other Hispanic persons that I've spoken to, same thing, like where they grew up, whether they grew up in the States or in another country, it's not like a thing you do. I mean, you go for an event. So if there's like an, a Latinx or Hispanic heritage month type thing event, they'll go to that. But like, it's almost like artists are so mystical in a way as well and so mysterious. And there's like this level two of respect and honoring their process. It's like, you also don't want to impede upon them or like, I don't know, like you don't want to bother them essentially. And honestly, it's not. So um, I find myself in the same way, like also telling other folks like, hey, you can come, like, like let's, let's add a little spice to this. Like, let's have a little more variety of people coming through. Like this is for everybody. This is not mm -hmm. just for, 
one specific group. So I do feel like too, luckily, like the events that Artspace puts up is helpful, right? All the different kinds of events highlighting different groups. I think that's helped a lot for sure, as well as the Artspace roster of artists having changed over the last few years um, as well. And there's, I like to call it the variety pack. There's a lot more of us of different ethnicities, sexual orientations, the whole shebang um, that kind of helps with that too. But yeah, I definitely find like we do have um, a lot more of that where we're also educating in a way and we can dive more into that you know when we do the bonus part of the episode but um there's been more of that like educational level so that when i'm talking to other folks whatever if they look like me or not it's a lot of like this is welcoming this is for everybody this is free like this is educational too like like it's enriching in both ways for sure mm -hmm. And from your experience, Isabel, I am curious, again, we can dive more into it on the bonus content, but is there an organization that you have found that like a public art space, whether it's a gallery or residencies, they find blends that gap really well or a specific idea on how um, we as a Raleigh arts community can do that? Oh, that's a great question. I'll just say from my experience, um, I've gotten more involved with NCAT, so the North, North Carolina Asian Americans Together. Um, they're a nonprofit here in Raleigh and they mainly do like um, try to like increase civil engagement in terms of like voting registration um, and um, yeah, all that sort of stuff with Asian Americans try to like activate that. Um, but they've also like um, they just held um, a big um, public arts festival in Durham for um, the Asian American Heritage Month last month in May um, called Common Roots. Um, where they had like a bunch of like art vendors and like performances, they had drag, they had um, singing and dancing, sumo wrestling, which was cool. Um, Very cool. So that was, <laughs> yeah, it was really fun. Um, I think like somebody in the audience actually like went up and like wrestled the guy. So I was like, <laughs> that's interesting. Um, I would not volunteer. Um, but no, I think that was really, really cool to just to see so many amazing like creative Asian Americans um, like being celebrated in that way and having the public come out and supporting. Um, also, there's a there's a student organization at NC State that holds like an Asian American um, art like I don't know what's called like an art like showcase um, every mm -hmm. single year, and that was in March um, called Crane. Um, in terms of like other art organizations, obviously like Art Space, like you guys said, like I think is doing honestly a lot in terms of like having that kind of diversity in like thought and experiences and identity throughout the artists and the events. Mm -hmm. um I think you know VAE obviously does like a lot to to showcase like BIPOC and queer artists and like different experiences and different like abilities and um perspectives um I'm trying to think of any others that I know but I think from just my experience like those are like really amazing organizations mm -hmm. um I would love to obviously like have more opportunities and like trying to like do more um workshops and like create spaces where like are dedicated to specific um certain groups that are maybe underrepresented in the arts um arts kind of world because like you said adriana like when i was growing up um and like even speaking to asian americans nowadays that i know like they would always say like oh you know like when i was a kid i was like i love drawing and painting and i was like mm -hmm. so creative um and then they just like kind of fall off during like college and afterwards um either because of like tiger parents or just like societal pressure of like you're you look like this therefore you should be a doctor mm -hmm. engineer lawyer blah 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 or even just like as like an adult like I feel like people think of 
arts sometimes is like a silly hobby um yeah they're like lighthearted and fun and they don't take it like as a serious research endeavor which yeah, which is like fine to do but like also it is a it is like a career you could have and like nobody or maybe maybe it's just my experience like it's not seen as like a legitimate thing that you could like live off of and like um pursue and like you said like there's like research aspects to it there's like business aspects to it there's like so much and like nobody really told me that <laughs> so right. um and even yeah, all just, those amazing organizations you just listed off like I mean and people that we have on our podcast you can be artists but also like art industry professionals mm-hmm. like all of these nonprofits need marketing coordinators and people mm-hmm. that write grants and people that go out in the community and engage them in education projects like those are careers, whether right. it's a nonprofit or a for-profit art service company, um, that they're all needed <laughs> too. And most of them all are artists on the side as well. I feel like we need an episode on art careers. And I think then we could like link it to people and be like, give this to your parents. Um, because yeah. like, seriously, a lot of the people we interview, graphic designers, there's developers, there's, you know, curators, there's museum and gallery owners, like there's all these different things. And it's like, they're all creative. It doesn't just have to be like you paint on a canvas and that's it. There's all right. these, anybody that works with anything Netflix, that's art too. You know what I mean? Like actors, nobody questions acting. You can make millions of dollars, but the moment you say you're a painter, they're like, you paint houses? Mm, otherwise, how are you going to eat? And it's like, oh boy, okay, we got to unpack this. And this is going to take like 45 minutes and I don't have time. Um, but for sure, for sure. I think we definitely should do an episode on our careers. Yeah, that's yeah. a great idea. Yeah. <laughs> I would listen to it. Yeah. <laughs> Especially for yeah, some of our younger listeners too, like, hey, I want to go into the arts, but like what facet of it? Just like a brainstorming melting pot of ideas. I think I'll starve. Um, you won't starve. There's space. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. But kind of to wrap up our conversation from before, um, I do, Isabel, I love that you were able to like plug so many organizations here in Raleigh. And I think um, of course we have to give a shout out to our art space executive team and how amazing they are with Carly Jones and the whole team of I've loved being able to see that shift and it's even compounding even more and more of integrating different types of art forms, whether it's music, whether it's performance in visual art spaces, hosting different types of events. And I think the biggest thing, if we have any art administrators listening on here, or maybe community leaders, educators, is really embracing and working and collaborating with those Um, other organizations like the ones you mentioned, whether it's a specific social group, whether it's a specific form of art that you want to collaborate with, because all of the resources and groups are out there. And then in that mindset of community over competition, like, okay, let's do an event that collaborates these three different organizations and brings all of those audiences together. Because I think, especially I would be hoping during COVID and especially now after, as it's melting into the minds of everyone, as we had that time to sit and be still in the community and really realize that just because, okay, we're going to this event up in Durham, that doesn't take away from the Raleigh arts community. Like things like, okay, you have first Friday, you have second Friday, you have third Friday, and then we can all go to all of them and it's great. <laughs> um, and so just having more opportunities for everyone helps. So I love that. But for you as an artist, I'm gonna pivot back to your career a little bit. Um, how do you find and choose opportunities for yourself to grow your creative career? Yeah, that, um, I think I've been like asking myself that as well in like the last like year or so, um, because um, 
I think like you mentioned at the very beginning, I've done murals in the past. And that was really because like, I've never done a mural and I thought it would be really fun. Um, it was just like a big, big ass canvas that I could just like paint on. And it was, it was really cool to do it um, because like there was money involved. It was a new experience I was learning. Um, it got my name out there. And I think there's a lot of like opportunities and money in mural making. But for me, it's like, I would, I think there are like, I could definitely have like a career doing murals, but it's just, it's not something like I'm like super passionate about. Like, I'm not going to like take the time to like, you know, take out all like a whole month of my, my time just to like paint a large wall about something like I don't care about. So like for me, and I think having the luxury of like having a day job and like having an income and like, you know, benefits and like health insurance from something else that like is not part of my creative um, outlet has been really great because I don't have to ever bring in like the the equation of like money into like the opportunities I seek out or say no to um which I know like some some of my friends who like went to art school like don't have that kind of other um income outlet um not to say that like going to art school is bad or good it's just like that's that's what they've told me um so for me whenever I try to make sure that like I'm aligned with like the people involved in that opportunity, making sure that they understand what my work is and like what my intentions are and understanding their intentions and making sure that that aligns. Um, but also um, if it's like, I don't ever want to just like take another opportunity that I'm like not learning from, like I'm never wanting to just like repeat something I've already done. So making sure that like I'm able to like learn something new or having an opportunity to grow in that um opportunity um while doing something that like I'm familiar with and that like brings some sort of like something back into like me or my community um so making sure like people are paid equi equitably if that's an option um or it's like reaching out to like having an audience that I'm not familiar with but also like being accessible to an audience that like I feel connected to as well um so those are like things I like think about when I when I'm like thinking about opportunities that I sh should say yes or no to I absolutely love that. That ties in perfectly uh, with the next question I have for you and also with Amir's the experience I'm having right now with murals. It's what I'm hearing and what you're saying. It, it's very much something that like resonates in my brain a lot. It's that idea of alignment. Like it has to be aligned. If someone's like, can you paint? Not saying this would never happen, but not in the foreseeable future. If someone's like, can you paint our logo for a muffler shop on the side of the building? No, 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 it's not my jam, really. Uh, can you paint an abstract mural about like this BIPOC, you know, theme or things like that? And of course, I'm not figurative like you are. So for me, it would have to be very abstract. But like this thing that ties in or it has to do with my style or I have a, my creative voice is part of it and I can bring other communities into it. Yes. You know, so I'm with you on that. It's like, I don't see myself doing muffler or donut shop signs anytime soon. Um, if I need to say yes or no to an opportunity, it definitely needs to be in alignment with what those longer goals are. So I think that's exactly where you're going with, um, which brings me then to uh, my related question is, have you actually said no to a potentially lucrative opportunity and what made you decide to say no? Um... Can you paint X, Y, Z or... I mean, I think to, just to be honest, like, I don't think I'm in a point of my career yet that I've had like a lot of like really lucrative opportunities come my way. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I have. Yes. Yeah, I appreciate that. <laughs> um, but 
no i mean i've had like some people like come up to me and just ask like hey would you do a commission of like my dog or like my partner and something i'm just like um i'm busy i'm so sorry i have like so many projects like in the next like month i'm so, like let's like re rehash this like in a later time but um yeah if it's like just i don't want to say busy work but it's busy work like i don't think i'm like in a place where like i want to do that or even i have like yeah just to be honest like i don't think i have time to do that um because i want to be pursuing other ideas and like exploring other questions that i have rather mm -hmm. than just like painting a dog also like I can't paint dogs so like right. that would be out of the question um <laughs> yeah and to your note what you said earlier is kind of the silver lining luxury I guess you could phrase it of having a day job where you have a set income and insurance and benefits and all those wonderful things um when we um interviewed previous artists one of them said um I believe it was Sterling Sterling Bowen was saying how having a day job he feels like keeps his artwork authentic because he doesn't have that pressure of having to factor in sales or profit or anything like that. Or as with this dog portrait example, like you don't have to feel like you have to say yes to it just to make rent next month or to fund another project. Um, and I feel like that's one thing that, um, especially if you have multiple jobs and the amount of time actually in the studio is relatively narrow, like, okay, if I, seven hours this week to be in the studio do i really want to spend three of them doing this dog portrait like and for some people the answer might be yes because the money's worth it but it does add a layer of okay you want that time to be fully and authentically in your research in your creative voice aligned with what you want to be doing so, mm -hmm. definitely yeah for sure well uh next up we'd love to ask all our guests about how they define success but first we want to put in a quick word from our sponsors this episode is brought to you by our Level Up Artists podcast supporters. If you have gotten value out of listening to our podcast, please consider becoming a supporter for $4 a month. This podcast is our way of sharing it forward and we get so much value out of these conversations ourselves, but producing a podcast isn't free. We have personally invested in podcast equipment and video editing software, as well as dedicate our time to produce, edit, and distribute a new episode every week. By becoming a podcast supporter, you will help us keep the podcast running smoothly and get access to amazing off-the-record conversations with seasoned artists, authors, art collectors, gallery and museum professionals, as well as industry leaders. These conversations offer even more valuable advice for artists at various stages of their career. You also get access to our artist community platform and our gratitude for keeping the podcast going. Head on over to levelupartisthub.com to sign up and become a podcast supporter today. Welcome back, everybody. So, Isabel, question we like to ask everyone is, how do you define success as an artist? Yeah, um, so for me, I think just being able to, like, have, like, a consistent practice in art has been, like, incredible for me. And for me, that's a success just because, like, I, I went so long without painting and I felt like, like a shell of a person that, like, um, I never thought that I would be able to like have a studio and paint every single day. And for me, that's just like incredible and like a dream. Um, so maybe that'll change in the future, um, whether or not I, I see that as success, a success, but just being able to like paint constantly and being able to share that with other people and having the opportunity to like develop ideas and questions and engage people in the way that I want to um, is what I would define as success. So like whether or not it's like 
some people like like painting about like really dark shitty things that have happened in their lives and I think that's great for them but like I don't want to bring that into my art practice um so for me it's like being able to like create art that's like a little bit joyful a little bit asking different questions um something that is beautiful to me and like colorful and all of that is what I would define as success but that I think that it is different for a lot of people Absolutely. And so what is one piece of advice that you wish you had heard before you got started on your creative journey? Um, I think I would, I wish somebody would just tell me like, just to not stop painting. And I'm sure, I, I'm sure like somebody told me that I just was like a stubborn 17 year old and didn't listen to them. Um, but like, I think the idea when you're like a kid or like a teenager and like you have to pursue one or two things as like your career or like your passions and you just like everything else is like a side piece, at least for me, that was, um, was really, I think, harmful. Cause I don't think I regret um, going to school and studying nutrition and public health. Cause I think, again, I, I love research. I loved having that kind of knowledge that I don't think I could have gotten outside of school, like the, the research methods, like all of the grant writing, all of that. Um, but I just wish somebody would have told me to like really continue painting, if not only for like, to continue like that practice and that muscle memory, but also just like for myself as like a person, um, that, that would have been really powerful. Whether or not I would have listened to them is like another question, but I just wish like that was like constantly being like put into my brain and like, um, not only the advice, but like opportunities in school. Cause I don't think like my undergraduate, um, university was like very community arts oriented. There was like an arts program, but it was very much in like the fine arts. Um, so there wasn't a lot of like community oriented, like artistic opportunities for me to like tap into so um yeah just like don't stop making stuff yeah <laughs> Isabel I do want to counter that point real quick and actually say there's a chance that even if you had listened to that advice and you had had that you know playing in your head there's a chance you actually might not have been able to carry it through honestly because at least what happened to me was once I entered like I still did art while I was in college and, you know, I was a business school student, not art school student. So I was always waitlisted for art classes, but I would squeeze in whenever there was a spot. Um, but once I got into the corporate environment, you know, working in the you know investment industry and whatnot, it got to a point where it was so draining um, that like to even think about painting. I mean, I could bear if I even started a painting, which I did, you know, I tried to continue a practice. It wasn't consistent at all. You know, you were you're working your nine to five, 40, 50 hours a week, 60 hours, depending the industry. The weekend, all you want to do is like go out with your friends and go out on a kayak and I don't know, go to the movies and things like you like you're not thinking of a serious artistic practice either. So even if you try to squeeze out the time for it, it might not be quality. Honestly, it might be more um hobby equivalent so I'm, I'm with you like wishful that maybe I had taken it a little more seriously as well to actually say like I'm gonna have a journal practice or a sketching practice or whatnot but the reality is you know you might not have had a chance anyways so there's there's that so maybe the the real answer to that to tie back it in uh back into your answer would be to say like maybe to have something in our schedules and block off the time maybe that was mm. the solution um you know 2020 hindsight right isn't that what they say <laughs> no yeah that's true sometimes I forget how busy like our lives were before like we took art more seriously or like the, we, we had the opportunity to take it more seriously so um yeah maybe the advice is just block off some something on your schedule like even an hour a week I think is 
something so you have that dedicated time to focus but no I completely agree because we all have I mean we all prioritize our time differently and I think it's that kind of that ongoing joke of like, oh, well, next Wednesday, after I have all these things on my to-do list done, I'm just going to have all this free time and I'm not even going to know what to do with myself. And you're like, we never hit that point because we always find things to fill our time with. And so unless you truly prioritize your priorities, they're not going to actually happen. So whether it's time with friends, whether it's research for your PhD, whether it's a creative practice, I think one big through line with a lot of people we've talked to is whether it's 10 minutes a day or an hour a day, an hour a week, it's unless you intentionally put it in your schedule, just like working out, just like making art, unless you put it in your schedule, it's not going to happen because there's rarely in the modern day where we just have lulls of a block of time where we don't have to do anything or we're not responsible for doing anything. And you can just be, unless you prioritize that time to slow down. Otherwise, other people's priorities will become your to-do list, which mm-hmm. is very yeah. difficult. <laughs> Plus, if you have that extra block of time, a lot of people just fill it with Netflix or naps, which I feel like yeah. those two as well. So, <laughs> so block it off, folks. Yeah, yeah, block it off, folks. Put it on your calendars. But um, Isabel, if someone randomly hands you a hundred bucks, what would you splurge it on or invest in? It has to be something that brings you joy and relates to your art or business. Yeah. Um, so. I think you mentioned in the beginning that I have like, I've developed more of a participatory practice with my art. And I think that does stem from like my research. Um, So what I do is like, whenever I am doing portraits of individuals um, that are outside of like just me, um, I will, I really want to like understand like their stories with like their, their background, their history, their relationship to food um, and their identity as like an Asian American from the South. And um, for me that, brings me a lot of joy because it's almost like a therapy session for me I like call it an interview but like it's very much just like a conversation between the two of us um but I also like know from like my research um that like I never really want to um take somebody else's story and like filter it through me who's like the the one with like the voice or like the the platform as an artist and like share their story through like my lens um so it's very much like more of a collaboration a partnership with them and partnerships like Everybody needs to be like respectful of other people's time. And while I have like a practice where like I am able to like maybe sell a piece or something and get financial compensation, like they're not in that position. Um, So I always, I've tried to more um, intentionally like um, apply to grants and get funds to be able to pay people for their time. Um, So the past like three interviews I've done, I've been able to like pay people. Um, So I think for me, the the hundred dollars would definitely go towards like paying somebody else to like be interviewed and have that kind of um, partnership and like start that kind of relationship. Um, not only to like because I enjoy talking to people and making friends with people, um, but it's also just like a way for me to invest back into like the people that I care about in the community that I'm like trying to relate to. Um, so that's that's where the hundred dollars would go for me. I absolutely love that. That's a wonderful answer in a perfect way to wrap up today's conversation but real quick before we go um what exciting projects do you have coming up in the future that our listeners can support you on and where can they stay connected to you after they listen to today's episode yeah so i have um work still up at cam the contemporary art museum in raleigh 
Um, so all of the stuff that I did in my Durham Art Guild residency around like food and identity and relationships, um, all of that initial work is still up there until September, I believe. Um, so you can check that out. Um, I have an upcoming show at CMAC, which is really exciting um, in the month of August. Um, so I'll be showing some new stuff there as well. Um, other than that, I'm I'm an art space. Like you guys said, I'm like always there, um, usually in like the afternoons and like early evenings. So if you're ever down in Raleigh, definitely check me out there. Um, I'm always happy to like have people over and like chat with them. Um, yeah, my social media, I have an Instagram, which I can like share with you guys and a website. Um, feel free to like email me. Always happy to like talk with people, um, not only for like maybe me to give some like information, but also to learn from other people um, and like make friends and like build a community. Um, so yeah, I think that's, that's about it for me right now. <laughs> no, that's perfect. We'll be sure to link all those things in the show notes for sure. Um, and would you mind staying with us a few extra minutes so we can discuss challenging preconceived notions through art on the bonus segment for our podcast supporters? Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Well, in the meantime, you want to, if we want to stay connected with us in between episodes, share feedback, or have a question you would like for us to answer on the podcast, you can reach us through social media. I'm at Art across all platforms. And I'm at Jay Sanders Studio on all platforms. And if you want to follow the podcast, we are at Level Up Artists on Instagram. You can also visit leveluppartistshub.com to hear the rest of this conversation and become one of our podcast supporters. Yeah, and this will also give you access to amazing off-the-record conversations with our guests, like Isabel, the artist community platform, and it helps to keep the podcast going. So thank you so much for listening. We'll talk to you next week.